Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode number 199B of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and we got a big, big preview show tonight. Of course, we got the big heavyweight fight this weekend, which, by the way, quick reminder, we're going to do a live fight party Saturday well, it'll be Saturday afternoon here on the east coast of the USA. Depending on where you're watching around the world, it might be the evening, it might be the morning, depending on where you're watching. But make sure that you get right back here to my YouTube channel, watch the fight. Joshua Ruiz doing it again in, uh, how do you I keep messing up the pronunciation for this city. Daraya, I think it's Daraya, Saudi Arabia, doing it live. And, um, well, just watch the fight with me, man. We'll chop it up together. It's always a good time to do these fight parties, and I'm going to be doing more and more of them. Also, um, put in the carpet in the studio. Uh, those of you who follow me on Instagram, you saw a little video I posted of it yesterday. Uh, I got the carpet in there, the baseboards. I built out my desk today. I started putting up some soundproofing on the walls. I'm telling you, it's coming together by the end of this year. We will be doing TNC live from the studio. That means no more annoying echo. The acoustics will be way better. Uh, everything will be better. And then we're going to have that call-in feature very soon. So very freaking excited about that, right? Very, very excited about that. Let's talk about, man, let's just get right into this. Uh, Wilder Ortiz pay-per-view a couple weeks back. So the reports are that it did around 275,000 buys. Now, that's... The high end, there are some people saying it did closer to like 225, whatever. Let's go with the 275,000 uh, buy. Uh, look, all things considered, I thought this would do around a quarter million. It's right around where I expected it. I think that's pretty decent when you consider. The thing is, there were people in the media saying, oh, this is going to do 400,000, 500,000. You keep hearing Deontay Wilder is this huge crossover star. He's not there yet. He's not there yet. He can get there. He absolutely can get there. It was another great knockout win for him. He's got two knockout of the year contenders in 2019. But man, he needs that dance partner. So I'm really curious to see what the rematch between him and Tyson Fury will do next February. That's slated right now for February 22nd back in Vegas. I think that that's going to do a much higher pay-per-view buy rate, but is it going to do north of half a million? Is there a fight outside of... Remember, the last million-plus buy pay-per-view were the two uh, Golovkin and Canelo fights. Now, if you also, of course, there was the Floyd-McGregor thing, but that was kind of a one-off freak show type of thing, right? That's a one-in-a-million kind of thing. I'm talking about actual boxing matches, right? The last million buy pay-per-view was Canelo and Golovkin, and I just don't know if Wilder Fury is going to do that if it doesn't do north of 500,000, that would be a huge, colossal failure. But who knows, man? Maybe I'm totally wrong and, and that fight can do a million plus buys. I just don't see it. I think that the rematch between Wilder and Fury, maybe around 600,000 buys, something like that. I just don't see it doing much more. But we'll talk about that way, way you know, as we get closer to it next year. Anyway. 275,000 buys. Now, you saw some members of the media reporting that as $20, $25 million in revenue. That's a little disingenuous and misleading. You guys know I've talked about this before. The pay-per-view revenue gets whacked up. 
Usually about half of it goes to the pay-per-view provider, but now there's these extra streaming platforms and and other uh, avenues that these pay-per-views are distributed through. So sometimes it could be as much as almost 60% of the pay-per-view revenue goes outside the promotion. Now, I don't know what the case is with this deal. I'm not privy to all the information, but it's at least half of it. So the the pay-per-view revenue for PBC side for the promotion was about 10 11 million dollars okay it's right in that right in that range and then about uh, a little over 7000 tickets were sold according to reports from the Nevada State Athletic Commission that's about 4 million for the gate now if you look at the all-time look Canelo just had uh, a fight with Kovalev that I think did 8 9 million at the gate so that puts things in perspective okay, okay? there are levels the biggest star in the sport is Canelo Alvarez. And, and look, him and Kovalev being short of $10 million, you know, that was kind of a disappointment for them. But it wasn't on Canelo's date. That fight, him and Kovalev, that should have been the weekend of Mexican Independence Day. It was a couple months too late. And I think that had a lot to do with the quote-unquote lackluster gate. But $4 million for this, again... 7,000 tickets sold, man, that's about $500 plus for the average ticket price that it was sold for, all right? Now, a lot of those were discounted tickets. I talked about that uh, during the week of the fight. I talked about that, right? So think about it, guys. Think about the price tags for these tickets. That fight was grossly overpriced. You saw in, I think they said 1,700 comps is what's being reported. Now, that's seven, I told you guys the difference between a comped ticket, which every show has, and then freebies, giveaways. That's papering an event. That's different. You're not going to see how many papered tickets, quote-unquote, were given out as part of the Nevada Commission report. They include ticket sales officially and comps. And again, comps are part of the show. So anyway, when you start whacking up the money here, 11 million plus 4 million, that's 15 million. That doesn't even cover Deontay Wilder's guarantee of 20 million, right? And then you had uh, Luis Ortiz with a guarantee of 7 million, I think. And then with the, all the undercard fires and everything else, a few more million dollars maybe total. So about $30 million in purses. Then there's all the promotional costs and everything else that's associated. So on the surface, it looks like this was a major loss. Not for PBC, and here's why. Of course, you have sponsorship money. You have the foreign TV money. That's not being included here. But the major thing is the MGM, the casino buy-in. That site fee is massive. And the MGM, they overpaid for this event big time. So while PBC probably broke even and, and did okay on it, the MGM grand... The casino buy-in, that's where those 1,700 comps come from, by the way, for the most part, not all, but a good chunk of them. They took an absolute bath. I told you guys they were giving out rooms almost for free the week of the fight. And I say all this not to beat up on anybody, but just to to break down what's legitimately happening. Because unfortunately, in the boxing media, you have some people that will push an agenda one way and then another group that will push it the complete opposite way. Very few people in the boxing media give it straight up right down the middle. So that's the situation with this card. Um, again, Deontay Wilder's money is guaranteed. So Team Wilder did well on this fight. Team Ortiz did well on this fight. It doesn't matter how everybody else did. I think that overall the promotion, promotion maybe it's a break even. Maybe it's a slight loss. 
but they'll make all that money back and then some when they do the rematch with Tyson Fury. So, but I, I do have to add, that's a split promotional fight, right? Because that's top rank with PBC. So the money is going to get whacked up even more. However, I still think that they're going to make their money back with that rematch next year. But who took a huge bath on this one was MGM. And they were banking on those Canelo dollars around Mexican Independence Day. They didn't get it. Remember, uh, at the last second, Top Rank and Bob Arum moved that uh, Tyson Fury, uh, Otto Valin show onto that weekend kind of as a bailout because the MGM execs were like, please save us. And they gave them an amazing deal. So that was a profitable card for those guys, even though it was a shit fight. <laughs> they priced the tickets right. And it did. It only did a million dollar gate. But when you consider what they paid for and what they got paid for, they actually did pretty well. Anyway, MGM in, in Vegas in general did not have a good year. They really did not have a good 2019. When you think about it, uh, Canelo's fight with Jacobs did okay. The fight with Kovalev did okay. But when you compare it to years past, what they did with Canelo Golovkin, and then when you had that Floyd Conor McGregor fight, that brought in a ton of freaking money too. They didn't have that huge $10 million plus gate type of fight this year. Didn't have it. So it was a down year for the Nevada Commission. And I wonder if that trend will continue next year. I don't know, man. Wilder Fury, too. If they price the tickets right, that can be... Is it going to break $10 million? I don't know. But if they price the tickets right, it has a chance. If Canelo fights Golovkin the third time, I don't know if that breaks $10 million the third time, but it will do pretty well. Just, man, they got to bring the big fights to Vegas. They got to price them right. They got to get promoters working together. All right, that's another debate for another day. Let's talk about the International Boxing Hall of Fame class of 2020. B-Hop gets in, Bernard Hopkins, Juan Manuel Marquez, Shane Mosley. And then for female fighters, the first time female fighters are in, there was two female fighters voted in. Christy Martin and Lucia Riker, those are the two that should have been in. So I think that those are all five of those for the fighters are no-brainers. No-brainers. Now, the one thing is with Shane Mosley. There's performance-enhancing drugs. We know that he used it. He claims he didn't know what was going on. However you feel or may not feel about that, I don't know. That might sway your decision on whether you vote for him or not. As a fighter and what he did in the ring, clean or not clean, pretty damn amazing Hall of Fame-level career. Uh, you know, Juan Manuel Marquez, look, there's a lot of question marks about that guy being tied to Memo Heredia, never doing uh, hardcore drug testing here in the United States, looked like the Incredible Hulk in that last fight with Pacquiao and suddenly had a, re, a renewed punch resistance and suddenly punched with insane power that he didn't just drop Pacquiao, he slept him. Lot, there's always going to be some eyebrows, you know, and people scratching heads. But, you know, he gets in. Anyway, non-participants, I thought this was in interesting. So in the hall, you have fighters, of course, but then you have non-participants. And this could be promoters, this could be Writers, I think even Sylvester Stallone got in. It could be just about anybody who's contributed to the sport of boxing. Goodfellas Pulp Fiction is asking about Layla Ali. Layla Ali does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame before Christy Martin and Lucia Riker. She'll get in next time. But those two women deserve to get in before her for several reasons. Uh, Non-participants, Lou DiBella, Kathy Duva, and Dan Goosen. 
All three of them deserve to be in. Bernard Fernandez and Thomas Hauser for journalist. They deserve to be in. So all 10 of those names right there, good names. So congratulations to everybody and um, to the Goosen family, uh, of course, for Dan and uh, everyone deserving. So it, it was a two. Yeah, Gail, said, Gail in the chat says the two women uh, were outstanding choices. I agree, Gail. And by the way, guys, Gail Falkenthal wrote a great article this week. I'll post it in a pin, pin comment at the top of this page uh, on the YouTube video so you guys can read it. But she wrote an article about the Ruiz-Joshua rematch, not necessarily breaking it down. She's going to do that later in the week. But just talking about some of the issues with it being in Saudi Arabia and some of the hypocrisy as it relates to the media and things like that, which I will talk about before the fight preview. Uh, because, yeah, I, just just... just all I could do is laugh at some of these people. We'll talk about that in a second. But great piece by Gail. Make sure you guys check it out, all right? Okay, some other quick news. Uh, the WBA mandates a fight between Alexander Besputin, who has their regular welterweight title, and Jordanus Ugas, who is the mandatory. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Besputin won that regular title not even a week ago. And they've already named a mandatory for him. Now, Ugas is more than deserving. He deserves a, a crack at the title. I just don't get the WBA. I don't get what the hell they do. Pacquiao is the super champion. I thought that the regular champion is supposed to fight the super champion at some point. I, I don't know what the hell they're doing. But anyway, uh, to me, that's kind of lined up, I, I think, politically to get Ugas that regular title. That's what the PBC wants. And the WBA is increasingly doing more business with the PBC. And again, the WBO does a ton of business with top rank. So this, this isn't just at PBC. I'm just saying I've noticed the WBA moving in. They see the WBC making all that money with Uncle Al and they want some of it too. I see this as a way for them trying to move in and get Ugas that regular title. So Ugas, so then you have an opponent eventually for Manny Pacquiao. Or should Manny Pacquiao fight somebody and lose that title in the PBC universe? Ugas will fight them. That's kind of what I see here. I see Mike Mendiola's in the chat. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? Hope you and the ladies are doing fine. Uh, okay, Christoph Govaki and Lawrence Okoli ordered by the WBO to fight for the vacant cruiserweight title. Now, remember, I told you guys this would happen. You look back to earlier this year, the, the strange circumstances that Marius Brady's beat Christoph Govaki. Referee Robert Byrd totally butchered that situation, yet he continues refing big fights. Go figure. Anyway, the WBO mandated, look, you two got to fight again. And Brady said, well, I got this World Boxing Super Series finale that I could fight where I have this massive guaranteed payday, or I could uh, go fight Glovaki again for a lot less money. Yeah, I think I'll dump this title and go into the finale. So I told you guys that would happen. Plus, those contracts with the World Boxing Super Series, they are lock solid, brother. They are lock solid. So you're not getting out of them. So Glovaki and Okoldi are going to fight for that vacant title. Maybe the winner of the World Boxing Super Series finale can fight them later on. We shall see. Jarrell Big Baby Miller inks a managerial contract with James Prince, who has a very Colorful history. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting stories that relates, as it relates to James Prince and, and the boxing world, particularly with one Floyd Mayweather, which involves machine guns. But we won't talk about that here. So, look, nobody else wants to work with Jarrell Miller. I, I don't know. If I, look, 
everyone deserves a chance at redemption and you know you deserve a second chance i guess for miller this will actually be a third chance but uh he's he's a dirty fighter i mean right it wasn't again he, he was taking a cocktail this dude he was lined up man he, he could be andy ruiz right now think about that for a second jarell big baby miller could be andy ruiz right now wow i'm sure that dude is kicking himself in the ass every single day and he's a former kickboxer so he probably could literally kick himself in the ass i'm not that flexible but uh look he's gonna get a title shot eventually that's the way this thing works there's not many big trash talking marketable heavyweights to go around so expect Jarrell big baby miller to get a crack at deontay wilder in 2020 that's the way i think that's gonna play out uh speaking of pbc the pbc in demand deal i should talk about this um so in demand is a uh, i don't know how you describe describe them they're a distributing service for pay-per-views and other programming they're a program distributor and they've been distributing PBC pay-per-views recently. Well, they just signed a deal. They just re-upped to work together for several more years. In-demand works with Charter, Comcast, Cox Communications, and some other cable providers, I do believe. So basically what this is saying is what I've been telling you guys for a while now. PBC is going to keep doing these pay-per-views on Fox for years to come. This is their business model. I would say new business model, but it's actually the old boxing business model that Bob Arum and Don King created in the 80s and 90s. And PBC is just going to keep rolling with it. That's the American, quote-unquote, boxing business model. I don't like it because I don't like pay-per-views. I think, you know, 275,000 people buy the Wilder-Ortiz rematch. Imagine if that was on Fox two weeks ago on prime time and 20 million people I don't know if 20 million, 10 million people. Let's just put it that way. 10 million people saw Deontay Wilder one punch KO Luis Ortiz. What that might have did for his career and for the for the eventual rematch between him and Tyson Fury, which you can argue their first fight should not have been pay-per-view, but you can argue the rematch is pay-per-view worthy. Of the six, seven pay-per-views we've had in the last calendar year, the most pay-per-view worthy fight would be the rematch between Wilder and Fury. Because it moved the needle with the mainstream sports media. All these other ones were bullshit. Should not have been on pay-per-view. But we'll never know. Okay, let's get into the fight preview, guys. we got a lot to talk about here. Thursday, December 5th. That's today. Holy shit. There's a card from New York on UFC Fight Pass later tonight. And there's a card from Costa Mesa, California, Golden Boy Promotions. Putting on a card out there that will be on DAZN, and I believe it will also be streaming on RingTV.com. So those of you who don't have DAZN, you can check it out on the Ring site, I do believe. Or maybe they're YouTube. I think that's the way those deals are worked out. I can't keep up with Golden Boy because they, ha- they stream some stuff on Ring slash their site slash their YouTube. They were streaming some stuff on Facebook Watch. I still don't know what that is. And then they have some stuff on the zone. Anyway, um, Yves Ulesi Jr. fighting Ishmael Barroso. 12-round junior welterweight fight. I think that's a pretty good matchup. And Demetrius Ballard, Yamaguchi Falcon. I believe these guys are both undefeated. 10 rounds middleweights. That's a good fight. Both are worth checking out. Tomorrow, December 6th, Tim Zhu, Kostya's son, fighting in Sydney. I thought... ESPN Plus might have picked this one up, but I can't remember. I I don't. Re- I think that one is not on um, 
American television. I see Saloon Mooney talking about Ulessi needs much better promotion. I agree with you. Could we, remember when Ulessi, and I'm probably butchering his name. Oh, Mike Mendiola says, yes, the zoo card is picked up on ESPN+. Plus. Thank you, my man. Yeah, I thought so. I couldn't remember for sure. But Ulessi Jr. was the guy who beat, uh, who was the dude, I think from Long Island, that HBO is, is promoting um, kind of as the lunch pail guy, you know what I'm saying? Um, oh, man, I can't think of his damn name. Oh, he, was a, he was a Jewish-American guy. I believe he was – that's it. Okay, so he said uh, Cletus Selden. Yeah, Cletus Selden. They were trying to promote him as the next kind of like lunch pail dude, you know, and they, uh, they were promoting him. And then Ulessi, I think, fought him and absolutely, absolutely just shut him out and just sh- showed you the levels. And from there, he's kind of gone on and done nothing, Ulessi. And he deserves a little more shine. If he gets a W here tonight, the Hebrew Hammer. That's right, Adam Perez in the chat. The Hebrew Hammer. I remember that. And, and good for you know, good for him. He, he, you know, he's a hardworking guy. He, you know, he does hit hard and everything. But Ulessi, who's just, so, just such a better boxer, and has been doing it longer, such a better athlete and boxer, just showed you the levels, right? And you thought after that, you'd see more of him. He's not the most exciting fighter in the world, but you thought you'd see more of this guy. But uh, he's on that Golden Boy show tonight, and if he wins and wins big, maybe you know he can move on to some better stuff in 2020. All right, Saturday, Peter Manfredo fighting again. This dude just fought two or three weeks ago. Two or three weeks ago. Peter Manfredo fighting in Connecticut on UFC Fight Pass. A lot of cards on UFC Fight Pass are not very good. Not very good, but um, a lot of action. So... Peter Manfredo back in the ring again. Also, David Lemieux fighting in Montreal. Also on UFC Fight Pass. I got two cards tomorrow. They got the Peter Manfredo card from Connecticut. And I think they picked up a card from Ekaterinburg, Russia. With a bunch of Russian prospects. Then we got a top rank and Zanford Promotions card from Puebla, Mexico. On ESPN Plus. Where Emmanuel Navarrete is fighting a churro delivery boy. First fight outside Mexico. Just kidding. His name is Francisco Horta, but y- yeah, this is his first fight outside Mexico. He's fought nothing but cab drivers and pizza boys. So uh, I mean no disrespect to him, but obviously this will be a massive big win for Navarrete uh, defending his WBO super bantamweight title. And then Jerwin on Cajas fighting a Chilean donut delivery boy, Miguel Gonzalez. This is the eighth defense of Ancajas' IBF super flyweight title. Ancajas. Gail in the chat says, churros, I need some. Yeah, churros are awesome, man. That's one thing about LA. You walk anywhere down the street, you got those street cars cooking food everywhere. You smell the, those hot dogs wrapped in bacon. Ah, oh, shit, those were so bad for you. But when you were drunk at three in the morning, damn, they were good. And then sometimes you get a churro with it. Oh, my God. Anyway, back to Ancajas. <laughs> what a title back in 2016, three years ago. Ain't fought nobody. He hasn't done dick. What a lackluster reign for Jerwin and Cajas. And for a while, he was uh, one of the, the little fighters I was excited about. <laughs> Gail says she's hungry in the chat. Oh, Luis says Don Churros in Orange County is the best. Dude, yeah, you just can't go wrong with a churro, man. A- any time of the day or, or week or year. Uh, but yeah, on Cajas, man, lackluster reign. I'd like to see, man, can we get some unification in that division next year? Top rank needs to step up, man, and get this guy a fight against one of the other title holders. I know they're across the street, but make it happen. Make it happen. All right, PBC doing a show from Barclays Center in Brooklyn 
on Showtime and uh, Tom Tom Brown TGB Promotions is running the show there. Jermall Charlo fighting Dennis Hogan in a 12 rounder for Charlo's WBC middleweight title that he won by beating Churro Delivery Boys. Um, yeah, Dennis Hogan. Look, hardworking fighter. Okay. Arguably won his last fight. A lot of people feel he, he got he got stiffed earlier this year, but not on Charlo's level. This will be an absolute uh, domination by Charlo. Uh, that's what I predict here. I'm not at all excited for that matchup. The fight I'm interested in, the fight I'm interested in, is the co-main Chris Eubank Jr. versus Matt Vay Korobov. Now this is for the vacant WBA interim middleweight title because the WBA just didn't have enough middleweight titles going around right now, so. They had to make this for the interim title. They'd love to get some of that Chris Eubank money. I know that. Because if Chris Eubank wins, he's still a brand over in the UK and the WBA can buy into that business a little bit. But, look, Eubank is improved. Eubank is improved from where he was a few years back. I still see him as very raw and everything. But he is very physical. He is explosive. uh, An athletic guy. Just not a very good boxer at all, right? Fundamentally. Now, Korobov, as has his, the dump he took this morning with his coffee, had more boxing fundamentals in it than Chris Eubank Jr. will ever have at any point in his career. However, he's aged. He's in his late 30s. And uh, we just don't know. We just don't know. Um, Alan Gifford says, but no jab. Yeah, he's, he's got a better jab than you think. But yeah, I hear you. He could have thrown it a lot more uh, against Charlo. But I still think that um, his experience, his craft. Azier says Korobov is 36. Yeah, 36. But you got to remember these guys from Eastern Europe. 36 doesn't sound old. But 36 from Eastern Europe, man, with the amateur pedigree and stuff, yeah, you got to add a couple years to that. It's just like with these Cubans. You know what I'm saying? But you saw what happened when he fought Charlo, a fight that many people felt that he won and he got stiffed on. I thought it was a close fight. Could have won either way. Close fight. But against Eubank, I I just wonder if he's going to look old overnight. You know what I'm saying? If he doesn't. If he's still close to the guy that we saw against Charlo, it, look, maybe he'll even be better. Because remember, before the Charlo fight, he uh, hadn't fought. I, th- I think he'd fought once in like two, two and a half years. You know what I'm saying? So he wasn't very active. So he fought once earlier this year and now this fight. So, so he's fought now three times in the last calendar year. That's pretty active for a guy his age. So maybe he'll look better than he looked against Charlo. Now, if that's what we see... If we see that level of Korobov versus this improved, hungry level of Eubank, I think we're going to get a good fight. I think this one will steal the show. I think this will be better than the main event. Also, there's another fight on here that's going to be pretty damn good. Marlon Tapales, Filipino fighter, going up against Ryusuke Iwasa out of Japan, who's taller and longer. This is a 12-rounder for a vacant interim IBF super bantamweight title. I just think the way these two match up, it's going to be fun. Japanese fighters, man, they fight till they're a burger. You, just, you can't stop these guys most of the time. They're tough dudes. And Filipinos have been on a good run lately, right? You've seen what Manny Pacquiao did, Casimiro just did. So, so the Filipino fighters are having a good run. So I think that's going to be a, a, a fun fight too. So all in all, that's a pretty good show from PBC there at Barclays. I just don't like the main event. But I like those other two fights. 
Now, let's talk about the big one from Darius, Saudi Arabia. The clash on the dunes. Andrew Ruiz Jr. versus Anthony Joshua. Before I get into this, and of course this is from Eddie Hearn's Matchroom Promotions on the zone. Before I get into the fights themselves, and this make no mistake, this is a loaded effing card, man. This is a great stacked heavyweight card. There's a lot of drug cheats on it, <laughs> but talent-wise and name-wise, man, if you're a boxing diehard, holy shit, you got four interesting heavyweight matchups on this card, all right? So, nice card. Pretty, I mean, for the zone, man, they're closing out the year strong on this one. However, real quickly, I'm not going to get into the politics of the situation in Saudi Arabia because no country's perfect, Okay. I, being an, a former military guy, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, seeing a little bit of the world. I, I've actually been to China. I've been to Shanghai. And um, I, I have friends from different parts of the world. I have a lot of people that I served with that did a lot of time in the Middle East. Okay, I'm very familiar with the situations over there. I understand that America is not perfect. But the human rights conditions over there in Saudi Arabia are nothing short of deplorable. They're, they're absolutely deplorable. And this stadium that they've erected overnight was pretty much built by slaves, indentured servants, and probably a lot of them weren't even from Saudi Arabia. They were slaves from other countries that were brought there, and their visas were put in a, a box somewhere and locked up. And it's like, hey, until you get this arena built, I ain't giving you your shit back so you can get back home to your family with your $2 that you've earned here, busting your ass 12, 15 hours a day. That's how shit gets done over there. Women are treated like shit. Ethnic and religious minorities are treated like shit. Okay? That's just what goes on. Now, America does a ton of business with Saudi Arabia. Both political parties here, the Republicans and the Democrats, do a ton of business with the Saudis. Barack Obama had no issues doing business with the Saudis. Donald Trump has no business doing, or no issue doing business with the Saudis. Okay? So this is a nonpartisan issue. Okay, it's just the facts. Really deplorable situation over there. However, the people at the very top, you want to talk about the 1%? Over here in America, we talk about the 1%, this, that, the other. Income inequality, all that. Look at that shit. Okay, it makes it, it makes it look like we're a communist country compared to what's going on over there in terms of income inequality and all that. The top 1% there live an amazing lifestyle, and they got money to throw around, so they put on all these sporting events. I think they have big tennis events, racing stuff, I think soccer, football, however you want, whatever you want to call it. And now they're investing in the boxing. And this, this isn't the first time that uh, Eddie Hearn has done business over there in Saudi, and he's going to continue doing that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this, this isn't stopping anytime soon because they're getting over $100 million, a $40 million site fee for this. So we're going to see more boxing go over there. Trust me. Here's the issue I have with this whole thing. I'm not even, I, I, I don't feel one way particularly about it or the other as far as the politics because it's prize fighting. These guys are putting their lives on the line. I don't blame Andy Ruiz for taking this fight over there. I don't blame Anthony Joshua for taking the fight over there. I don't blame Eddie Hearn because it's his job to get the most money for his fighter. I just don't like hypocrisy. I don't like that. And there are certain members of the boxing press that play the woke game for financial gain. <clears throat> I talk about this all the time. They're, and I'm, by the way, I should preface by saying this. 
I am not directing this at any one particular person. So I don't want you guys thinking, oh, Mike's talking cryptically about this person or that person, and I need to at mention them on Twitter and send this clip to them and start a fight because I love internet fights between media personalities. Guys, I'm not, I'm not talking... I'm not picturing any one particular person or a group of people when I say this. I'm talking in generalities, okay? There are members of the boxing press and just the boxing community. They might not even be writers, but promoters, um, pundits, whatever, that constantly talk about politics. They talk about demographics. They talk about female issues, this or that group issues, right? They're constantly talking about this stuff, and they're interjecting it into your sports coverage, all the time, unsolicited. Yet, they got no issue going over there and getting paid. That I do take issue with. Be consistent with your shit. Now me, I, I don't, look, I don't have anything against the fight being in Saudi Arabia. I recognize that there's deplorable issues over there. Look at the billions of dollars the NBA is doing business with China with. What goes on over there is every bit as disgusting as what happens in Saudi Arabia. Our media is just not in tune with it as much. But my fiance is, her family is Chinese. So believe me, I'm very well schooled on what's going on over there. And like I said, I've been there. I've seen some of the shit myself. Um, there's two different classes of people there. And there's no middle class. It's the same thing in Saudi Arabia. I can go on and on about this. So this shit exists all over the world. There's nothing you can really do about it. And I don't blame people for going for the money. Just be consistent. So... To those members of the press, particularly if you're female, I have no issue with you going over there and covering the fight. It might be the biggest fight in 2019. But I don't want to hear about this group being underprivileged and this group being disenfranchised and you bitching and moaning on your Twitter feed or whatever else it is later on when you're over there taking these people's money. That is hypocritical. And guys... A lot of you ask me all the time off the record, who's real, who's not real? Who's a real boxing person, who's not? Who should I trust, who should I, shouldn't I trust? Sometimes the answers are right in front of you with this kind of stuff, okay? Would I go over there and cover the event? Yeah, but I'm not on here talking about this group's rights or that group's rights and interjecting all that shit into my boxing coverage. I pretty much keep it moderate with the politics. I'm an independent. I'm a registered independent. I, I have no political affiliation. I'm not going hard on one side or the other. I just call out hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy swings both ways. It goes more on one side for four years, and then it goes back to the other side for four years or eight years in this country. Uh, but, you know, it, it is what it is. So anyway, let's talk about the actual fights. All right. Sorry for that rant there guys but you know i will go on a rant on occasion okay before we get to the main event let's talk about these other heavyweight fights on the undercard flip hergovich fighting eric molina this is a good step up fight for flip hergovich eric molina has been in there with aj he's been in there with wilder you know what i'm saying uh he's been in there with good fighters so he's had some issues with ucad in the past and testing and he claims that um he's innocent okay anyway Good step-up opponent, very experienced for Flip Hergovich, who I'm not that high on yet, but let's see. Sometimes Styles make fights. Didn't necessarily set the world on fire the last time he was in the ring, but I think Molina's going to give him a push, man, and we'll find out. I think we'll get some questions answered. Not all of them, but we'll get some questions answered 
about Flip Bergovich in this fight. Or Philip Bergovich, sorry. I keep calling him Flip. His name is Philip or Philippe. Also on this card, this was added last minute, man. Dillian White versus Marius Vak. Now, add your performance-enhancing drugs joke at any time with this fight, okay? Jokes aplenty, okay? We, I, I'm not even going to talk about the history of these two guys, but this is actually a pretty interesting matchup. Uh, Dillian White is a huge puncher. Vok, for the most part, has shown a pretty good chin, especially when he's actually juicing. When he's clean, not as much. But, uh, <laughs> by the way, a lot of you guys were asking about Dillian White and his B sample, right? Uh, so, Eddie Hearn, in an interview this week, says, Hey, man, Dillian White's not suspended right now by UCAD. They were supposed to have a hearing, I think, in October and give a ruling. They didn't. They haven't, they, they haven't said shit. So, they're still doing their investigation. What have I always said about UCAD? Their adjudication process sucks. And generally speaking, it takes at least a year to get a ruling from these people. So right now, Dillian White is licensed to fight by the BBBFC. So Eddie Hearn said, shit, you want to make some money, Dillian? All right, let's do this. And they're doing the fight. I actually think that's an interesting matchup. Of course, I favor White. I think he's a true, legitimate top five heavyweight. I just wonder, has he stayed in shape? Has he stayed in the gym? With all the shit going on, if you want to prove the naysayers wrong, Dillian White, by the way, says he's innocent. He wasn't using performance-enhancing drugs, and UCAD screwed up, this, that, the other. If you want to stay on everyone's good side, get in there and put on a hell of a show. Get in there and put on a hell of a show. Everything's funny when you're making money, and when you keep winning, people are forgiving. Also on this card, Alexander Polvetkin, who's had his own issues with performance-enhancing drugs, going up against Michael Hunter, who... I think we can all believe is clean. I think Michael Hunter is a clean fighter, an honest fighter. And I'm very interested in this fight. This is a WBA heavyweight eliminator. I feel like Povetkin has fought in about 432 heavyweight title eliminators at some point. Maybe 433. I might be forgetting one. But So this is another one, WBA heavyweight title eliminator. And Hunter's coming off that win against Sergey Kuzmin earlier this year, who's a big guy. Right, Eastern European guy. Uh, I want to say six four, six five, something like that. Bigger guy than Povetkin. Uh, looked good in that fight. Boxed very well. I think he dropped him in that fight. Looked really, really good. Seems to be kind of surging. Only has one loss, and that's to Alexander Usyk. No shame in that whatsoever. I think his recent fights, including that Kuzmin fight, prepared him for this. This is a huge leap in opposition. Povetkin, very experienced, top ten heavyweight, but he's aged. He's past his best. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, man, I got a feeling. I don't know what the betting odds are in this fight. I wouldn't be surprised if Povetkin's the favorite. But I got a feeling Hunter pulls this off. I just think he's going to pull it off. I think that he's going to uh, box very well against Povetkin. Povetkin, now that he's clean, now that he can't cheat anymore with performance-enhancing drugs, he fades in the second half of a fight. And, you know, he's an older fighter, too. So that exacerbates all that. So I think as long as Hunter can survive the early rounds where Povetkin will try to get those sneaky, right, you know, looping right hands in, if he can survive that and catch up to Povetkin's angles, I think he's going to box well and maybe even coast down the stretch and sweep the last three, four rounds of this fight. So I like Hunter by decision. Main event time. Andy Ruiz versus Anthony Joshua, the rematch. 
for Andy's IBF, WBO, and WBA heavyweight title. So, real quick, the three judges for this fight, one of them is very experienced, the other two, not that experienced for a fight of this magnitude, I'm a little surprised. None of the three judges really concerned me, but the referee, Luis Pabon, tends to, he's an experienced referee, but tends to break things up when fighters are on the inside. When fighters clinch and they get tussled up close quarters, he tends to break the action pretty quickly. He doesn't let guys work a lot on the inside. And I think that's a major advantage for Anthony Joshua. Major advantage for AJ. So the referee here, I hope we're not talking about Luis Pabon on Monday's review show. I hope we're not talking about him Saturday afternoon during the live fight party that we're having here on MOB YouTube. But it's possible. So I'm a little concerned about him. And two of the judges maybe kind of scratch my head like, really, these guys? And then the third judge, I think, is Glenn Feldman. That makes sense. Okay, so everyone's got their opinion about this fight, the psychology, this, that, the other. We see a slimmed-down Anthony Joshua. It looks like he hasn't cut his hair in weeks. He kind of looks like a, I don't know if he looks like a hippie or a guy who recently lost his home and has been on the streets for a few weeks living in his car. He just kind of has a look of a guy that is trying to, in my opinion, psychology-wise, get rid of all the noise. No noise. This is a guy that has had a lot of noise around him from a very early age, right? Because he was kind of anointed as the golden child. He pretty much had a golden path laid for him to take. He, he hasn't had to really earn it. Not saying he hasn't worked his ass off in the gym, because of course he has. But when you compare him to other guys who have had to earn it the old school way, nobody saw them as the golden child. But that's Andy Ruiz. Andy Ruiz is a guy who doesn't look like the heavyweight champion, right? So he's had to kind of go through the battles. He fought Joseph Parker. Some people feel he won that fight. A lot of people do. I thought Parker edged it. But either way, he had to kind of go through those battles and work his way up. And AJ just basically walked into millions of dollars, loads of women, whatever the hell the guy wanted, was just laid out in front of him, right? Does the guy even, I mean, hashtag me too, does that even affect a guy like AJ? He just shows up, drops his pants, and goes, sup, Mike? And the chick's like, oh, right? I mean, this dude has it all. You know what I'm saying? He could, he could do no wrong over in the UK. He's a superstar. Well, now he's been humbled. Now he's, and that's where the psychology of this fight comes in because now it's like, can a guy who's been so privileged in his life where everything has been, yeah, Mike Mendiola brings up a good point. AJ's gold medal was controversial as well. I thought he lost that fight. I thought he did not win that gold medal match. I thought that was home cooking big time. But can a guy who's been so privileged get humble? And go back to the drawing board and remember what it was like the first time he went to a boxing gym and took an ass whooping and his nose was bleeding and his, his, his face hurt. And having to go back into that gym and earn that respect. Can you do that now that he's sleeping with silk sheets with three women by his side? Can you do that? I think he can. I think that... Here's another thing about Andy Ruiz. We talk about psychology. All of a sudden, Andy Ruiz is everyone's favorite fighter. And I like Andy, and he is a skilled fighter. I remember when he was announced as the replacement for Jarrell Big Baby Miller, 
there was a lot of people who was like, man, if Andy Ruiz, this dude, man, shit. Jarrell Miller would have been better. And I remember telling, guys, go back and look at the record. It's all out there. I remember telling people, Andy Ruiz is more deserving of this fight than Miller and more proven. He will pose just as much of a challenge as Miller would. And people were like, nah, nah, you full of shit, man. And then what happened? Now, look, I thought AJ was going to win. You know, I'm not saying I thought Ruiz was going to win. But I think Ruiz was really underappreciated by a lot of fans. But now I think he's being a, perhaps overrated by a lot of fans. And a lot of the bandwagon fans that just jumped on here in the last four or five months, I'm just thinking, man, yeah, because that was June. So it's six months. Okay, so, so over the last six months... They don't know about this guy's history. I do. A lot of you guys out there do. I spoke with Justin Gambler earlier this year, training for Caleb Plant, who briefly trained Andy Ruiz when he was with Top Rank. And he tells me, and I've talked about this story a few times, uh, so I'm not going to get into repeating everything, but they had a month or so of gym dates lined up. And Andy showed up for a handful of them. And he missed like well over a dozen of them. And this is a tune that I've heard from several trainers. He showed up at gyms, lackluster training, left, was lazy. Bob Arum has certain things to say about him, right? He was eventually released from that top rank or bought out from that top rank deal. However, it seems that he has finally fulfilled his potential and he got serious and he went in there and let it all hang out against AJ in the first fight because he had absolutely nothing to lose. Nothing to lose, right? Now he has everything to lose. Now, if Anthony Joshua loses this fight, eh, the dude's probably got $200 million in the bank. He's still a superstar over in the UK. He can go back there and fight Donut Delivery Boys and still make a few million bucks. He can retire tomorrow and get into acting over there. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Uh, For Ruiz, you know, he's getting life-changing money for this fight, so he's set. His family's taken care of. He's definitely built up a fan base. And I think even if he loses Saturday, a good chunk of those fans will stay around. Some of the bandwagon fans will bounce, but a good chunk of fans will stay around. He's always got an eventual shot at Deontay Wilder that's lined up for him. That will happen. So he'll get another payday there. But when you look at, don't just look at the first fight. Look at their last dozen fights, okay? Look at who the guys have fought. Look at their performance. I just think Anthony Joshua, I know I'm going to sound crazy, and maybe I'm going to be proven wrong. It wouldn't be the last time. wouldn't be the first time. I think Anthony Joshua is going to come into the ring Saturday night and fight smart the way he should have fought in the first fight. Remember, that was a last-second replacement. Now he's got a full camp dedicated to Andy Ruiz and his style. He's been sparring guys that fight like Andy, similar size, similar punching angles. He couldn't be any more prepared for this fight. I think the version of Anthony Joshua that we saw fight Vladimir Klitschko, because he knew, holy shit, dude, I need to tighten up. This is Vladimir Klitschko. This ain't these other dudes I've been fighting. He was on point that night. He struggled. He got dropped, but he showed us something, right? We're going to see that version of Anthony Joshua in the rematch. And I think he's going to win a unanimous decision in a fight that's lackluster in terms of action because people are expecting this explosive fight. I think they're, 
Andy Ruiz, if he wants to win this rematch, I think he's got to strike gold early. He's got to hurt AJ, get to him, punch up at him, get in his chest, and just punch up with those looping shots, hit him on the side of the head, try to rough him up, go fast. Do not box with this dude if you're AJ. Don't wait for AJ to get in the rhythm and be jabbing and grabbing all night. Luis Pabon, every time, that's the referee for those of you who are just getting on the, the show here. Luis Pabon is the referee. Anytime AJ ties up Ruiz, Pabon's going to be right there to break him. Anytime Ruiz gets close and AJ wraps his arms around him, boom, Pabon's there breaking him up. I'm telling you, that's how it's going to play out. So Andy cannot let Ruiz, or I'm sorry, cannot let AJ clinch him and hold him and nullify his attack. That's going to get easier for AJ to do in the middle to late rounds as fatigue starts to set in and rhythm starts to set in, okay? So for a, for Ruiz, he's got to go in quick guns blazing. I think that he's got to psychologically try to bring AJ back to Madison Square Garden. I think it was June 1st. I can't remember the exact date, so don't quote me, but I believe it was June 1st. I know it was early June. Uh, he's got to bring him right back there. And the best way for Ruiz to do that, get right in his chest and start punching, baby. Do not wait. We are going to know how this fight will play out after about three, four rounds. If AJ's jabbing, grabbing, staying long like he should have in the first fight. Look, he was winning the first fight until he lunged. He dropped Andy Ruiz, remember. And then he jumped right back on him with his chin up in the air and his hands down lunging in his chin was past his knees past his feet and Ruiz clipped him so AJ knows that that could happen again he's going to stay long he's going to keep his head his head back it could look a lot like the Joseph Parker fight the difference remember when he fought Joseph Parker that was a lackluster fight right Parker was trying to survive right he was being very defensive Andy Ruiz can't fight that way he's still got to come forward He's got to come forward the whole fight. But we're going to know in the first few rounds, man, if Ruiz is laying back, staying in the center of the ring, and letting AJ dictate the pace and the rhythm, and AJ's just working off the jab, man, don't even worry about right hands. I, I would tell if I were in AJ's corner, dude, don't even throw a right hand the first three, four rounds. Just jab and hook, jab and hook, jab, 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 and use a hook off the jab to spin Andy, to get away from his left hook. I think Ruiz's left hook is the biggest weapon in this fight for him. AJ's got to keep that right hand right on his right temple. Keep that right glove glued to his right temple in the first three, four rounds and just jab. Keep the left side of his chin tucked into his left shoulder. Jab, hook, spin. Jab, hook, spin, repeat. Anytime Ruiz gets close, hug him. That's how he should fight. Can AJ do that for 12 rounds and win a decision? I think so. I think that that's how it's going to play out, guys. All right, so let me hear what you guys think. Let me look here in the chat. I'm going to guess like 116, 112, something like that. And I'll tell you this. Don't rule out a late stoppage win for AJ either. Don't rule that out. If Ruiz gets a little rambunctious and he's been eating jabs for 10 rounds and jumps into a straight right hand, because that straight right hand will be there for AJ in the later rounds. And he's going to see the left hook coming a lot more. Uh, he'll see it coming. You know, it won't hit him by surprise, I mean. Uh, don't rule that out. It could happen. It absolutely could happen. All right, let's check out the chat here. 
Mike Mendiola asks, hey, Mike, if Andy repeats, I think PBC matches him against Kavdachi. Your thoughts? It's possible. I think if he wins, it's probably, probably match him with a guy like that um, in New York, maybe. Or maybe, you know, man, they really need to get him in L.A. I think they'll put him against uh, somebody in L.A. that he can beat. And then hopefully we would get Wilder, because I think Wilder is going to be Fury in the in the rematch with Fury. We get Wilder and Ruiz. That would be a huge fight. Now, you want to talk about a million pay-per-view type of fight. That's it. That absolutely would be it. Uh, I would just hope that they would do that by the end of next year and not milk it for a year and a half. Here's one thing I, I'm curious about with the Wilder Fury rematch. By the time that fight happens next February, that's almost a year and a half from their first fight. And I just think they've lost so much momentum. I just wonder if that's going to affect the pay-per-view sales for that rematch. You know what I mean? Uh, Yak Pushkin says, Ruiz Jr.'s style and attitude is why there's a good possibility he gets stopped. He won't come to survive. Absolutely agree. That is a fantastic point. And that's why I said, don't rule out a late stoppage win for AJ. Of course, Ruiz has a chance to win. But his chance to win, in my opinion is an early knockout. He's not going to get a decision. He's not going to outbox Anthony Joshua from the outside. Ain't going to happen. And later in the fight, as he gets desperate, I think a right hand or maybe even that right uppercut that AJ got uh, Klitschko with could land and could get him a stoppage. I'm telling you right now, guys. Let's see. A few more, guys, and then we're going to bounce because we've been going here for almost an hour. And we got the big show Saturday, man. I'm telling you guys, watch the fight with me, man. We'll chop it up live. It's going to be a good time. We'll have some beers and watch the fight live. Goodfellas Pulp Fiction asks, does AJ need to make the AJ versus Ruiz the heavyweight version of Canelo versus Lara? Interesting question. Um, no, I, I wouldn't. That comparison doesn't work for me because um, it was Lara who was backing up um, and he didn't win that fight. I thought Canelo edged that fight with his body work. You could make an argument Lara might have won, but no, I don't think he needs to fight that way at all. I don't want to see AJ backing up, okay? I want to see AJ moving forward, but I want to see it behind a jab. And when Ruiz lunges in, he needs to hold and use his height. And I'm telling you right now, he's got to keep that damn right arm pinned to his right temple. And you guys saw his arms look a lot smaller. His arms look a lot smaller now than they looked before, right? I think that's strategic. It gets hard to hold your damn arms up for three minutes of a round when they're freaking tree trunks. Smaller arms, you can hold them up more. I think that's strategic. AJ's legs look just as huge as they always do, but his upper body, back, the chest, and especially the arms are visibly smaller than they were before. And I think that's a smart move. It's the same thing we saw with Vladimir Klitschko when he lost some of his early fights. Emmanuel Stewart was like, what the hell are you doing in the weight room, dude? You're a fighter. You're a martial artist. Get out of the freaking weight room. He got him just sparring and doing boxing drills. And Vlad slimmed down a little bit and worked on his rhythm and his movement. And that version of Vlad for 10 years that ran the division could beat any heavyweight on any given night in the history of boxing. Now, I'm not saying I'd favor him to beat everybody, but he'd have a legitimate chance to beat any heavyweight ever. Seriously. 
great rhythm and spacing. I don't think AJ's as special as as Vlad. As, as far he's always going to be a little stiff. His feet don't move as well. He's just not as athletic. But I think slimming down helps him keep those arms up and helps him uh, see shots coming and pick off shots and parry. And that's what he needs to do. Man, when you got a dude punching up at you with crazy angles, I don't want to just sit here and talk about me. I'm just, just going to say real quick, when, I, you know, when I've sparred little dudes who are punching up at me like that, man, I'll keep, it, I'll keep one hand on my damn, I'll keep my right hand right on my chin if I got a dude throwing uppercuts because I want to be able to move that to the side I need to move it to. If he's winging shots at my temple, boom, I got it up here. That's what AJ needs to do. You know what I'm saying? And if he does that, and I think he will, I think he's going to be successful. All right, guys, we're going to leave it there, man. Remember, Saturday afternoon. So it's probably going to be around 4 p.m. East Coast time. Come back to the channel and watch the fight live with me. Of course, I can't show fight footage, okay? DAZN would shut me down. They'd have assassins. They'd have ninjas break down my doors and, and slaughter me right here in front of you guys. Some of you might want to see that. <laughs> but we can't. So I can't show the fight, but I can comment on the fight. And we'll do it together. We'll have a few beers together, watch it, and see it all. The, the drama unfold live in front of us from Darius, Saudi Arabia. All right, guys, have a great night. Also, I haven't talked about this the weigh in. Holy shit. The weigh in's going to be big. We got to see what these guys look like tomorrow. That might sway my opinion one way or the other. This is one of the bigger weigh ins we've seen in a while. That's going to, I think, have a big effect on the fight. It's going to be interesting to watch the odds change after the weigh-in. So we'll talk about that Saturday. All right, I'll see you guys later. Uh, See you at the fights.